Welcome. Welcome once again to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I'm Buddhist. My name's Jacob. I'm a Christian and cracking it at watching Jamal kind of like freeze for a moment. Like it wasn't a what word comes after welcome freeze. It was just like like you were buffering for a moment. Like Kevin's music. <laughs> like Kevin's music. Just buffered then. The, the, the Lord works in mysterious ways, Jacob. No, no. I, I'm just... I wouldn't equate Kevin MacLeod to God. Oh, so I, I, like he's I, a good composer and wonderful. The, he gives us things for free. Like it's true. You know, yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, the, there's that like a, a grace thing going on. Yeah. yeah. I know. See, look, all I was trying to do with the buffering is just to kind of, uh, yeah, just to keep it on your toes. You know, we, we we record so many of these podcasts. I need to <laughs> I need to make you at least not you know, not not know what's happening next. Excellent. Well, I do know what's happening there. You do. Because we talked roughly about what we might talk about this episode yes. a moment ago. I, yeah. I'm going to let, let you lead this one in because well, I think this is a brilliant idea you've come to us with. <laughs> well, we were discussing, the astute listener will remember that we were discussing on the last episode, monks behaving badly. And we kind of, we ended with a bit of a, a provocative question, I guess, that you threw out, Jamal, of like, is there, if, if there's something common about religions that they're all espousing a particular moral way of life and kind of you know code of conduct to live by if you like um is, is there something about being a particularly religious like what what is it about being a particularly religious person that lends itself to potentially stuff ups or um as i think i i put it at the end there like when a religious person stuffs up a prominently religious person such as a monk, we seem to hold that to a different bar because, as, as you said, we were talking about monks and meth on the previous episode and it's not like they were running a meth lab or anything like that so far as we can tell. A bunch of people run meth labs. Mm. It doesn't make the news so much because they're not monks, right? Yeah, and I think I think that's the key point. It's the standards, right? Because, yeah, yeah. I... I, I d- don't want to argue for a second here that I think that religious people are more likely to commit uneth- unethical actions. I sorry if I verbaled you a little bit. There. No, no, <laughs> this is good. I, I, I like it. Um, but yeah, I think um, the yeah that that maybe it's that religious people, even though they may be less likely to commit uh, unethical actions, when they do, there seems to be something more um, appalling about that. Mm. And, and and that got me thinking about something that I've been reading into recently, which, which was a, um, a a document from eighteen, fifteen eighteen that is, so a while a while ago, um, called the the Heidelberg Disputation, which is very early in um, Martin Luther's career as a as a reformer. He, he'd written the ninety five theses, you know, nailed them to the church door. The the thing that kind of is this fourteen ninety five that is. No, no, fifteen, seventeen. Okay. Ninety-five kind of statements. Okay. That, you know, rah, rah, rah. Um, so, so this is like after he'd done that, a year after he'd done that, but before he'd kind of been disowned by the Catholic Church. So he's still a Catholic monk at this stage, and rocks up for a debate with all of these other monks to defend these these theses in the the disputation. And the also, first, also sorry, before yeah. we go any further, can I please pitch Lin Manuel Miranda's next uh, oh, next yes. Broadway musical, Luther? I'd watch that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. L- Lin Manuel, if you're listening, Luther, do <laughs> Which it. Which of course he is. Yeah. Like, Lin Manuel's a cool guy. We're yeah. cool guys. That's how, that's how it goes. So, so black hip hop Luther um, <laughs> put out the, the first. Of, the, so the first of these theses that he puts out is uh, the law of God, the most stal- salutary doctrine of life, 
cannot advance man, and by that he means like people, on their way to righteousness, but rather hinders them. Um, And that just kind of got me thinking of if you've got a bunch of people that are out there trying to do the law, do the good things that advance them in righteousness, like what if that's actually getting in your getting in your own way. Can I unpack this a little bit? So what does he mean by the law? The rest of the episode is you unpacking this. So so what does Luther mean there by the law of God? Uh, So by that, he would... uh, There were two ways that kind of the law was understood at the time and and still now in kind of Christian thought. The, The law of God is, you know, the Ten Commandments, all of the things that God commands, you know, do this, do that, whatever. Um, so that there's the law of God on that hand, and there's also a thing called natural law, which is um, the, the God set the universe up to run in a particular way. Um, and if you go along with the way that God set the universe up to run, then then things are going to go better for you. So the, the law of God that he's talking about here is sort of the, the theological law, which is the higher one. So the commandments. Yeah, the commandments. And all so that. what he's saying is that the law of God will actually hinder somebody in their pursuit of holiness. Righteousness, but yes, we could use them. We could use them fairly synonymously. Can you you define righteousness? Uh, Righteousness being, well, I I guess rightness is the way that I would kind of normally phrase that. Um, So yeah, holiness is not a bad way to put it. Um, Living with justice might be another way that we could, you know, flesh out righteousness. but um, And is the implication... And living rightly with God is the way it's often unpacked. Yeah, which yeah. is, I think, where I was going with that. Is the implication that living righteously is the the way to live most in line with God? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. So I have a take, but I want to hear what your take is first. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I, think, I think he means by that, that attempting to live... Uh, attempting to do what you think are the right things in order to be right with God, right, in order to get in God's good books, actually gets you further away from God's good books than you were to begin with. Okay, so there's a layer of intentionality you're adding to that, which I didn't hear in that original statement, which is that if you do the right things in order to get in God's good books, right? Is Luther saying that... That's kind of how I'm parsing righteousness for the moment, yeah, right? Okay. Like right relationship with God. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, what if someone was to do those things just inherently, not to try and get in God's good books, but just because they were the right things to do? Well, and, and this is, I think, the, the nuance that Luther's working with here is, is that there's, like, there's, there's nothing bad about good things, right? But good things aren't going to earn you goodness, so what will earn you goodness, does Luther say? Well, uh, the fundamental thing that Luther would say that I would agree with is that Jesus Christ earns you the good things. So so you don't have to earn your relationship with God because God is the, like God is the input into that relationship and not me. So, so is he then arguing that you don't have to live in line with righteousness? No, not exactly. Or, or, or actually, rather, you don't have to live in line with the law of God. Like, if God is the mm. input, then what does it matter what I do? Right, and and this is this is the fundamental tension 
at the heart of the the Lutheran tradition in particular, Christianity in general, is like, well, if God has done everything, like, what do I care? Well, and not only what do I care, what's stopping me from being entirely unethical, right? Yeah. If, if God is the input to my relationship with God, and I'm trusting that God's going to be there, and the fact that I believe in God and Jesus is enough to make God want to be there for me, mm-hmm. what's to stop me going and starting a meth lab? Like, oh, and, like, and the terrifying answer is nothing. Sure. Right? And God will still save me in the same way if I do that. Right, but the, the, this is where the... Like, the, the, this is a challenge in it, right? Is is because God has saved you, right? Like that, So that work has already been done. God's, God's sure. done everything that needed doing. And the question is, are you going to enjoy that relationship with God or not? And the, I, I would suggest to you that running off and starting a meth lab uh, is not actually enjoying the relationship with God. It's just going and doing whatever the hell you want, which is may or may not kind of end out well, end up well for you in this life. But, but, but what does but it matter? Probably on the balance of probabilities, not right, because there's consequences to action. Right? Sure, it might end up badly yeah. for me in this life. But I'm, if I'm going to go to heaven for eternity and be with God, then like, what do I care? Right, and but the the question is, how well do you actually understand God? If it's about the relationship with God, like, do you have a relationship with God, and what does that mean in your life and for your life? So, I, I think what what is getting me here, and this we is, haven't heard your take on it yet either. By I, the way. I, I'll, I'll get to that. Yeah. But what's getting me here is the unconditionality of it, right? Yeah. And I totally get that God, by definition, is unconditional love. Like that's the whole thing, right? Right. But. The issue I have with unconditional love is the fact that it's <laughs> unconditional, right? Yeah. That, like, that at least in human relationships, I want conditional love. Yes. You know? I, yep. I, I don't want my partner to stay with me if I become a mass shooter, right? Like, I, I think that's a very bad idea. You know, I, I don't think that love that is completely unconditional um, is healthy, right? Because I, I think it, it, it leads to, I mean... You know, let's not even talk about how it leads to incentivizing or not incentivizing my actions, but it, you know, it leads to uh, harm for the person who is doing the loving, right? Yes, and, and maybe absolutely. you talk about God takes yes. on all that harm, and, and that that's part of why God is well, so great. That, that is the story of the cross, mm. right? Is is God actively taking on harm rather than kind of rejecting the relationship? Like that—that's literally what's going on with Jesus. Sure, but I, I guess. The issue I have with that is like there is in that relationship there is no incentive for me to be a good person other than that's what God wants me to do. And but but God's going to still love me anyway, so even if I don't do that, then I'm still going to get all the same benefits, I'm still going to get all the same rewards, I'm still going to get the salvation. Are you a better person when you're loved? I would say not if you're loved unconditionally. See, it, it it actually makes me think a little of the um, the the lab tests that were done on mice about drugs. You, mm. you know about this, yeah, right? Yeah. Like that they um, they had mice in cages and they had the option of water or cocaine. I think it was, and they gravitated to the cocaine because you know they thought it was great. And then people are like, ah, oh, look, you know. Addiction is just, sure. this is how it works. Um, 
then they gave the the mice like mice heaven like this awesome playground and all this stimulation and everything else and what they found was unless i'm misremembering that they didn't go to the cocaine like they were happy with the water because they were enjoying sure. mouse paradise with all the stimulation yeah. right um and and i think there's an aspect of that that is somewhat analogous to god's love right like which is if if you've got this ocean of unconditional love that's being poured into you and you're and you're actually bothering to drink it or swim in it rather than trying to keep yourself dry or, or whatever then that is like that that's just gonna affect your character in, in the same way as we know that people are shaped by their social situation right and and the households in which they grow up in and the way that parents relate to children shapes the way that children relate to the world and other people and, and all of that, right? I mean, I agree with you that it's analogous, but I take a different point. You know, the the love that the mice felt from the other mice in Mice Heaven was socially great. I think it was from the toys, actually. But yeah, yeah. but that was that was <laughs> conditional, right? Like so, so my understanding of the um, of that experiment was that they Mice Heaven included lots of other mice, right? Sure, and lots of other Probably. social connections, Probably. right? Um, and that. In any mouse community, that love is conditional, right? If you, if you if you steal everyone else's food, they're going to kick you out of the mouse community and you go back to the cocaine water. Like, <laughs> you know, it's so so. I, I think I, I see that and I take a different point from that, right? Which is that yes, you behave better within a context where you are loved, but again, if that love is unconditional, like the the only incentive you have to behave better in a context in which you're loved, and I, I agree with that statement. It's partially the fact that you know that if you behave like absolute crap, the love's going to go away. So, you know, there is an inherent desire, a human desire for social connection. It's one of our biggest drivers. Mm. And part of what makes society work is the threat of ostracism. It's the threat that if you do not behave ethically or in line with society's expectations, you will have your social connections cut off from you, Mm -hmm. right? And... I guess what I'm struggling with here is this idea that if God is offering you an unconditional bailout to say that no matter what you do, no matter how much you fuck up, no matter how much all this like stuff goes wrong, no matter how much of an evil person you are, right, that God will save Pol Pot so long as Pol Pot is a Christian and believes in God and has that relationship with God. I mean, like, I, I just, I don't quite see. But, the, the, like, the thing is that if Pol Pot is a Christian and has a relationship with God in that way, Pol Pot is going to relate to his actions differently, not in order to earn God's love, but as a consequence of God's love, right? And, and there was there's an example of, I, I do not have it at my fingertips, I wish now I, I did, but of a, a Cambodian member of the Khmer Rouge. Who, is this Duke? Is this the quite possibly yeah, yeah. yeah. Who who became a Christian and was like, shit, what have I done? Yeah, right? And that completely changed their reality. I, I get your point that becoming a religious person will make you more likely to be a better person, right? But the whole premise of this conversation is that religious people can do some pretty messed up shit as well. So, you know, I don't fully accept your point that being a religious person inculcates you from doing bad things, right? So I think that, sure, I I do agree with the statement that fundamentally, if you're a religious person, you're probably more likely to be self-reflective, more likely to think about your actions, more likely yeah, back, to want to live in line with the yep. law of God. Yep. I just, again, I just don't 
Look, I agree with Martin Luther's point, but for very different reasons. I, I think okay, so why do you agree with this point? What's what's Jamal's take on my, this? My take is that's a super Buddhist statement, Martin Luther. <laughs> um, that what? There is a law of nature and there is a structured law of God. And if you, uh, if you try and strive towards the law of God, then that'll that will take you away from the law of nature. That's essentially saying there is a way that the universe works. And the more that you cling to something and try to do something in a particular way and have a particular preconceived idea and expectation about something, the less you'll be in line with nature. That's a very, very Buddhist statement. But, but I think like he's, he's not limiting this to the law of God on, on my reading. Like I, I think you can apply this to the law of nature as well, right? Like if you, if you want to say that the societies are structured in a given way and you've got to do certain things in order to be acceptable in society, I, I think he would say that like trying to do those things and trying to, to be a meritable person sure. um, is, is not going to advance you. Well, but again, I think this comes back to the tenet of Buddhism, which is, you know, you, you have to be attached to trying to be a good person to try and become enlightened until the moment you get enlightened, right? But I think it's the same point, right? That trying to do anything goes against what's actually going to to make you successful at that thing. So so on that account then, like what is it that motivates you to be a good person then? Like like what to to put the question back, like why why be a good person in a Buddhist construct? I mean, uh, like, multiple reasons. Aside, aside from earning enlightenment, which you like, at, at the end you have to let go of everything to get, like. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, yeah, the, the the main selfish Kantian reason, right, is that it it's better for you. <laughs> if you're a good person, you are more likely to get towards enlightenment, and then that's generally what you want to do. Um, but then also, I guess you know, you do it because you know it it, it there there. there you do it because it is that that is in line with the law of nature, right? And so I guess this idea that, you know, you talk about the kind of the fundamental good of Buddhism is the law of nature. Um, and so, you know, being kind and ethical and whatever else is in line with that, you know, sure, animals kill each other, mm-hmm. but, you know, y- you don't really see animals going on killing sprees and killing more than they have to eat or whatever else and that kind of stuff, right? Like, you know, that that the natural balance of the world lends itself towards equilibrium, towards a level of equanimity and kindness and that kind of stuff. And so to behave in line with that is inherently living more in line with that, which is good for you, but also just generally good for everyone else. But like if you've got a forest, the trees are all competing for the space and the sunlight and like outmuscling one another. And if, if a tree gets more than it needs, it will happily take that until it's kind of got too big for its boots and it dies and it falls. Like that, that's but, also but, but, the, but the that's natural the, world but that's at work. that's the thing, right? If you keep doing and, that. And so it happens in human societies, right? Yes, but, but, but that's, a, that's a great example, right? If a tree gets too big for its boots, it'll die. So there is a natural limit to how big a tree can get, right, until it dies. Um, and the same in human society, right? Like, you know, I, you know to, to use a historical example, when when a wealthy person in society gets too wealthy, they get their head chopped off, right? Like that, that you know, if... if Although if, not necessarily immediately. Like no, p- potentially their ancestors a few down there. Sure, but <laughs> like... Well, so there's no consequences. History is long, there. right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, when, you know, when one family owns 87% of all of the wealth in a place, they tend to get killed. Um, you know, and so I don't know. I, I, 
you know, to go to your question of why behave ethically, right? Again, I, I think the fundamental Buddhist answer is it's because it helps you become enlightened and that, that is the core tenet of what you're trying to do. Um, but if you want to give a less selfish answer or a more Mahayana answer, you know, it's, you know, that's in line with Buddha nature, right? Like, and, you know, that, that being kind and doing good things is in line with Buddha nature and Buddha nature is the way, you know, the best way to be in the world. And so, and, and the conditionality in that is, is simply the conditionality of the law of nature. Like, yeah. like you know, the, the, if you get too big for your britches, then your tree falls down and, yeah. and that's sad for you. Exactly. Yeah. Because right. yeah. to if we can jump back to the unconditional mm. love piece for the moment, I think the, the bit that was uh, maybe I could have brought out better in that section is that the, the, the love is unconditional but not without cost. Because as, as you said very well, like the, the cost in unconditional love is borne by the lover, mm. right? And it, to me, that's, that's kind of the point, that God bears that and God cops that. And, and so it's, it's not a love that doesn't have a cost, but it's a love that has a cost that you don't have to bear. And th- there's, I, th- I think, a degree of conditionality to the point where you can you can close yourself off from that love and you can behave in ways that aren't commensurate with with actually understanding what it is that God has done in order for you to have the relationship that you have with God. Which, I which is basically living without the benefits would be how I would put it. Right? Well, but I completely agree with that though. So but like I guess, yeah, where is the incentive to not do that? Like, 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 so what are these benefits of living with God that are so much better than me just being able to do whatever the hell I want to do and being forgiven for it? Because I think just like I, I, I do not think that just doing whatever the hell you want to do and being forgiven with it is actually going to give you joy and peace and well, so I, I, calmness I, I, and I, meaning I, I and purpose with, in your life. Right? I agree with that, but I agree with that for Buddhist reasons, not because I think it's like, I, I agree yeah, that yeah. those things don't give you purpose and meaning, but that's because <laughs> I think it's about craving and attachment, not because I think it's about being in line with God or not. Well, because I think if, if you're, if you're doing those things, then you're, you're living out of line with God's intention for so, humanity and, and for creation, right? So like, a, and a, well, there, there's an extent to which that's a kind of like the the Buddhist response. Like, well, if you if you want to live out of line with that, like, a, I I don't think it's as good, but you can do it, right? Like, the 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 thing with the unconditionality is that all of us, myself included, live out of line with that. A, a lot of the time, if if not you know most or all of it, which is where the unconditionality is necessary, I think. So because as soon as you place a condition on something, then you give yourself something that you're going to have to earn and hoops that you have to jump through. And the question becomes, which conditions and how many conditions and which conditions matter really and which conditions are kind of like you know guidelines and. Do, do you get me? I think we're going to the same thing, but I think we have a different rationale for how we get there, right? Because yeah, okay. I think we will both agree that it is not good to live out of line with the law of God or the law of nature or whatever you want to call it, right? So if we say that there is a a kind of structural, you know, quote-unquote way to live, and then there is out of line with that, then, you know, I think we will both argue that 
it's bad to live out of line with that. But I think we have different reasons for why, right? And I, I guess this, what what I struggle with is from what it sounds to me like your why is because it's not in line with God, which to me isn't much of a justification outside of the presumption of God, right? Like, like right. it really leans on this presumption of God. Whereas I feel like the Buddhist explanation for why you don't do that is a little bit more logical, which is here are the root causes that lead to why it's a bad thing and why it's suffering. Like, I feel like you can, you can make a, a better equation out of kind of from attachment. Yeah. You, yeah. Can, you can say, well, it's attachment and craving and attachment and craving are lead to suffering. And you, you can, you can follow that line a bit further. You don't run into, well, because that's what God said, which I struggle with as a kind of justification. Well, I'm not saying that that's what, like, I'm not saying that that's what God said. I'm saying that's kind of the way that God made things, right? Sure, but, but there's a there's a certain there's an innateness within humans that we desire things, right? Like, I think that's the furious agreement between Buddhism and Christianity, right? Is is that we desire things, and Christianity says that well, we desire the wrong things, and our desires are messed up, and whereas Buddhism just says, well, all desire is bad. Yeah, but I think you still run into, you know, why do we desire the wrong things? Well, because they're not the things that God designed us to desire or something. Well, well, well because we we think that the cocaine sounds quite nice rather than, like, rat paradise over but, here. But why does God care about cocaine? Like, like, like well, well, what does it matter to God whether you take cocaine or not? Because God wants a relationship with you, right? Because because God actually cares about you. Like, that's a, that's a fundamental thing sitting behind... Like, like sitting at the back of Christianity that actually contributes to this whole unconditional love thing is that the universe is not uncaring. And and Christianity doesn't... It, so if, if Buddhism doesn't care whether you're enlightened or not, Christianity does care whether you're resurrected or not because you matter to God, because God loves you, because you have a, a, an innate value and an innate purpose and in being in the world you're not just atoms randomly so, thrown together so They're, i guess my question then is what is the rationale for god's preferences why does god prefer the things that god prefers well that is an excellent question um we can ask him sometime but <laughs> like like and and this is like for for me the 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 bedrock of christian faith comes back to well we know that that is God's preferences because of Jesus and because of the way that we see God acting in history, right? Why God does that, like, why, you know, why, why God ought to be a, a benevolent deity rather than a God of chaos and smiting and whatever, like, who, who can know the mind of God, right? Like, uh, and... Is, is there an extent to which that's simply just like a kind of a helpful social delusion or or something? Maybe, but there, there's there's enough about God and the Christian story for me that that doesn't match what I would expect if you were making something up to make yourself feel better about the world. That yeah. I run with it. Okay, so I I can get behind we know that these are God's preferences, right? Like I can, you know, accepting the theology, I can get behind, well, we trust Jesus. We, you know, there's, there's enough proof in inherently in Christianity to say that we can confidently say this is God's preference. I mean, I think there have been wars fought over that, but you know, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I, can, I can take that, right? I, 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 yeah, I guess I still just struggle on the not 
what is God's preferences, but why is God's preferences? Mm-hmm. And I just think Buddhism provides a clearer explanation for why the holy thing is holy as opposed to the Christian explanation, which just seems to be because it's holy. Like it's whole, it seems circular. You know what I mean? Like, like without being able to explain why God prefers a thing that way, like, you know, it, yeah, it, it just seems to fall back on or well, because. Well, well, like, but because there's a logic there of like, because that's how God made it. Right. Yeah. But, but why did God make that? And why didn't God make something else? Sure. But like, there's there's an extent to that. It, it, like we just we encounter the universe as it is, right? And and as we find it. And if if you if you believe that there is some kind of mind and rationale behind that, well, then God did make it that way. And if you don't believe that there's some rationale or, or mind behind the universe, like well, why is it the way it is? Like, the, the, maybe the answer is just well, well, we don't care, and it just kind of is. But like to me, that doesn't seem like a terribly different question as like aside from like god is love and could god have been something other than love well conceivably but god is not so like what what do you do with that i i I guess it's the layer of intentionality right it's the identity-ness of god that i maybe am struggling with right sure that that god being a being Mm mm-hmm you know, like, and, and again, maybe this is my fundamental Buddhism, where I believe that all beings of all kinds are inherently influenced, right? That, um, that, you know, I, I think you, we're thinking about at some point in the future doing an article on free will and like mm. the, the kind of the what influences people and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think inherently, the all beings are acted upon, right, as well as acting upon others, mm-hmm. and so. God being a being, I think I really struggle to break out of that thing about okay, well, what is acting upon God, mm-hmm. and what is the what is the cause that leads? I, I can accept the effect of God, right? I can I can accept that God does X or Y, mm. and that's what God does, and I can accept that that's holy because God does it. The bit that I think I still am looking for is what is the thing that is causing God to do that, and w- what is the inherent why the driver behind mm. that action that God is taking. To which the classical answer, which I, if I can do it justice at all, I can't do it justice in two minutes, but I'll try, mm. is that that driver is love. And so this is in the where in the Christian conception we get into really messy ideas of the Trinity, right? Like you know this, that God is three persons. You've come across yeah. that idea before. So you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the, the names that are attributed to that and that god is eternally those three persons um, but one god but like god loves god and god loves god relationally like the father loves the son the son loves the spirit the, 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 like there's this you know love fest at the heart of god which is like overflows out beyond god into creation and then into relationship with that creation and with humanity and all the rest so it's it's a like it's a divine self-love that motivates all of this but but at the same time like what you're saying is exactly the the case and this is like one of the classic things about god in in any theistic concept is is a monotheistic anyway is that god is not acted upon or at least by anything other than God. 
And so God does what God wants. Mm. Interesting. And, and 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 to me, like to to me, that seems no different to well, there was a big bang and now the universe is like. It, but there's, there's there's no intentionality in that. Sure. So so like the, the minute you bring the minute is God God is doing what God wants. Then the question is, well, why does why does God want that? Right. Whereas, like, if you if you accept a Big Bang theory, there's no intentionality behind the Big Bang. It's not a wanting of any kind. It's just a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. So you don't have the same problem because you're not trying to explain a desire. And so, hence, you wind up with this coming back to nothingness mm. in Buddhism. Yeah, yeah. Because you you don't have to explain why God wants a thing because there is no in, there is no primary driver of a want. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Christian theology there is, which is what God wants. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. What do they call that? The the prime the prime mover. Or? Uh, Aristotle came up with this phrase, not a Christian, but he came up with it anyway, mm-hmm. which was uh, the unmoved mover, which is also the the prime mover, which like prime mover being literally first mover. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Speaking of things that we want or not, there was um there was a time a Christian and a Buddhist walked into a oh, bar. God, we don't want this. <laughs> <laughs> Whose intention was this bar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, and the, I, I heard last episode. <laughs> they, 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 they walked into a bar and uh, they see their old mate Nasruddin. Oh, Nasruddin, he's you, back. You love Nasruddin, yeah. So Nasruddin's in the bar and Nasruddin's a bit sad and they go up to Nasruddin. Oh, and go, oh no, Nasruddin, why are you sad? Poor Nasruddin. And Nasruddin goes, oh, you know, I'm just thinking back about my life. You know, I just, oh, yeah, I, I'm a Sufi, I, I'm a Sufi mystic, uh, you know, but I, I never wanted to be a Sufi mystic. And they're like, oh. He wanted to be a lumberjack? Oh, maybe, maybe he did, but no. Uh, yeah, so they're asking you, yeah, so they said, oh, did you want to be a lumberjack, Nasruddin? And, and Nasruddin goes, no, no, I didn't want to be a lumberjack. Um, I, I, I always wanted to be a Gregorian monk, but I, I just never got the chance. Nice. Yeah. Can we have more Nasruddin, actually? Yeah, I, I can I, have more Nasruddin. I don't mind that. I was editing Nasruddin jokes. You, you not hated Nasruddin at the start. And then I edited the episode and I went, man, I gave you such short shrift on that. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah, not bad. Nasruddin. not bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I, I really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah. Glad we kind of tangented this way. Yeah. I'll put the Heidelberg disputation in the link so sure. you can read like all 26 theses if you want. They're hard to understand. It's old. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, you can also find Kevin McLeod online uh, and you can find us at christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. You certainly can. We'd love it if you told your friends about the podcast and then they can listen to Jamal's jokes as well. See you next week. Bye.